Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, Nina. How are you? <laughs> G'day, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, we're having a, bit, a funny introduction to the start there as we're controlling our own slides. Okay, um, and thank you to Laura and Flora in the background. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Interesting week this week, I think, for us as we look at where case law is going and where policy is going. I'm going to give you a couple of cases today which are really describing the nature of where unions are going. But we've seen with respect to work, secure jobs, and we've seen under safety legislation an increasing involvement of unions using the positive litigious opportunities that exist under those legislations to actually take a role where they don't have to get out and organise labour, they just have to have a litigious success to draw membership. Yeah, they can just bring a claim on their own. And we're seeing it constantly around psychological hazards or around key issues of risk in industries. And, of course, when we look at industry-based bargaining, you can see that there's this pincer movement happening. Unions are largely irrelevant to most of us. They're less than 10% of total workforce outside of government. Yeah, they're losing membership. And they're, they're losing their internal capability, and many of them are running off capital stream rather than the number of memberships. And, and it's a, significantly under-resourced yeah, as well. So yeah, so what we want to talk today a lot is, and we're going to use a couple of safety cases to illustrate, but what we really want to talk about today is where does this risk sit and how is it starting to come? So perhaps the one of the most interesting cases, DPP and Energy Australia, Nina, and you might talk quickly about the facts. Yeah, so this one was a case involving a employee who was installing control cables and he was holding them and they made contact with live components which caught an arc flash and a fatal explosion. And Energy Australia in this case was said, look, the employee followed my instructions, the procedure, everything. It was our mistake. He wasn't wearing proper PPE. He was wearing cotton overall, so it made it even worse. And they fully admitted their mistake and apologised to the family. And WorkSafe actually decided not to prosecute them in the first instance. Said, look, you know, you've acknowledged your mistake. We're going to let it go. But the union actually brought a Section 131 application and requested WorkSafe bring it up to the DPP and have them review. And the DPP said, no, this is really bad, we've got to prosecute, and they got a $1.5 million fine. Yeah, which was three separate fines for yeah. different parts of primary duty breach. Yes. Yeah. So remember under primary duty, you can. there's a number of elements of primary duty. There is supervision, there is yeah, induction and training, yeah. system instruction. So you can be charged with all three. Interestingly, the arguments that could have sat around whether that's a correct method of actually charging people didn't proceed, which is odd and not one I would have accepted myself. But that's there's a duplicity, what's called duplicity in the way it was done. So it shouldn't have been as bad as it was. But what's really important about this is in Victoria and other jurisdictions, there is a capacity of internal review of a WorkSafe decision not to prosecute. And whenever you put a decision outside of an operational area like WorkSafe into the hands of a criminal prosecutor, the criminal prosecutor will go and look at breach, look at consequence, and they will invariably say prosecute. Yeah, they scrutinise it so much more. And it's not just the union. Anyone can make that request of WorkSafe. They can. But I think for us, Nina, this is another example we've talked about of two things. One, the union saying as part of their advocacy, quite rightly part of their advocacy, saying this is not good enough. But what an easy way to, to do organising. Yeah. You go and tell somebody to go and do it, they go and do it, they're successful. You and go you in claim the win. And you <laughs> claim the win. And the second thing is it shows 
this other issue, which is courts are no longer scared to give big penalties. No, they're getting larger. Yeah, larger. and so where the tariff, and tariff is what you'd say is the measure of a fine, before Victoria went to $3 million for the highest offence and back to 1.5 mm-hmm. for others, we were seeing $100,000, $200,000 penalties for deaths. It got in around about um, 2018, the average tariff for a, a workplace death in the primary duty was about $350,000. But what we're seeing now is the cumulative use of provisions is that that tariff's moved from about three fifty to about seven dollars to $800,000, yep. all within three years, and COVID came in the middle. So we're seeing regulators willing to prosecute much more serious charges, reckless endangerment, industrial manslaughter, and we're seeing courts, even at the lowest level of primary duties, very happy to step up into the higher brackets. So there's a couple of trends there you can't miss. One is the union behaviour. Respect at work allows union-represented proceedings in and sexual harassment, um, secure jobs, provides a new methodology for them to actually process and get involved in running cases. You should realise these are the new inroads into your business. Yeah, it's really just the first step and we're going to start to see it more and more, I think, and like you said before, with the change of the commission. Yeah, well, we should say that if yeah, Adam Hatch has been made the, the presidential member of the Fair Work Commission, he would not be embarrassed to say that he comes from the left-hand side of politics. Workplace legislation, particularly the Fair Work Act, is is worker beneficial legislation. It's yeah. designed to protect workers. Especially with the new changes. We've seen President Hatch, as he now is, on the full bench actually doing some very innovative and new law which moves towards worker benefit. Yep. And so we're going to see full benches which are much more protective of workers particularly around schemes, around enterprise agreements, the classic sort of unfair dismissal, but around disputes and behaviours which are more complex, we'll see higher intervention from the Fair Work Commission and more in favour. So, again, keep that in mind. Let's go to the next case, the Supergas case, because that's, again, a really interesting case and has another story to it as well. Yes, so this case involved uh, Supergas who supplies gas cylinders as a I guess, a retailer, and the employee in this case was picking up two gas cylinders from Supergas to transport them back to his place of work. He didn't secure them properly. I think he put them on the side and it led to an explosion, significantly injuring him. He's in a wheelchair for life and also causing damage to other cars and property around. The employer in the first instance pled guilty and got a fine of $300,000. Supergas decided to go further and as the supplier actually got a fine of $550,000 because they failed to have any system to teach, I guess, clients how to safely secure gas cylinders during transport. And look, there's a big lesson in this case. There's a New South Wales full court decision which talked about a designer of an electric gateway which wasn't designed for failure in electricity and when people tried to push it, the gate fell over and crushed people. There's a whole lot of cases like the use of quad bikes and other things which are inherently dangerous by the nature of what they are. And what safety law does impose a duty on the person who provides that to do three things. One, know the potential use that a person could have of that Mm -hmm. and to advise them of the risk on it. Be satisfied that the methods of carriage and movement of those things is undertaken safely and also be satisfied that there is a documentary path that evidences that that has occurred when the matter's hand known. If you don't do that, you're stuffed. And because you're the deliverer of the dangerous thing, you're much more liable than the person who is on the other side who doesn't know or isn't aware of that level of risk because you have that knowledge. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a common misunderstanding that 
they only have to make sure that the product they're supplying is fit for purpose and that the obligation ends once they hand it over, but it's not the case. Yeah, so the, the classic example is paint thinners that are used for people with paint sniffing. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, to not comprehend the illicit use of it means that you will be liable for it. Yeah. So you must understand the nature of uses and actually guard against it. And you'll see that with Panadol because of its high risk when people ingest too many yeah. and to reduce the size of packets and the complexity of actually opening them because they've realised they're facing substantial litigation and possibly class actions around the ease of access to yeah. them for people who are vulnerable. Just risk assessment like you do for anything else. I know. Now, look, let's go on to Lodge, the next case, because I, I think... This one's an interesting Can one. I say this? Again, three great things about this case. One is it is the only workers' compensation case I've ever read that talks about the law correctly. So there you go. Great decision, and you should read the decision. It is an eloquent, good decision that sets out reasonable management action in New South Wales in a way which I haven't read before. So it's yeah. great. And it comes to legally sound and reasonable conclusions, which is also unusual in the workers' comp jurisdiction. Yeah. <laughs> Actually aligns with the other employment law forces. Yeah. yeah, it does. The second thing is it talks in detail about when you investigate. So that's an employment law concept which becomes difficult around reasonable management action as a defence in psychological claims. And something must trigger an investigation, so it has to be something that has a level of urgency and seriousness about it, and you're confined to investigating what is the issue, not drawing in past history. And in this case, Ms Waller made a couple of allegations against Lodge. They started an investigation and then they thought, let's pile on. Here's all the other thing we don't like about Lodge. Yeah, let's stick it in there as well. Employee, yeah. <laughs> and a union rep as well. Hard to believe. <laughs> but anyway, he brought a psychological claim. He said, since 2013, you've been treating me terribly. Medical practitioners said, what well, wasn't impacting him. So that, that all went, which was really good. And so it was looked at the discrete method by which they informed him of the allegations. And unlike all the other cases we've talked about, this judge said, look, you tried to do the right thing and he wouldn't let you do the right thing. You tried to talk to him privately and hand a letter to him privately. Confused. Yeah, you didn't have to provide him with a support person. Can I just say, you may never get this judge again, so always have a support person <laughs> present. <laughs> but the vice was that what they tried to do was expand the scope of the investigation, which was unreasonable because it didn't deal, it dealt with matters that had been condoned and left go for a long period of time. And some things without any evidence and as well. That's right, unparticularised, all those bad things. So... The great part about this decision is, one, it's a great decision. Two, it circumscribes the usage of investigations to an incident that occurs that for which there has been no condemnation and is serious enough to go beyond just having a consultation. Yep. And the third part is it tells you clearly that reasonable management action is a defence if you'd run the disciplinary process correctly to those narrow sets of facts in an investigation. Right, procedural fairness. Yeah. So there you go. We didn't do too badly on that. No, I like Lodge. I really enjoy it. I, yeah, I think it's it's a really important case because it shows just how easy it is to fall on the last step. And like what we always say that if you've got a difficult employee, don't lean towards your frustration because it just yeah. overrides Be best your worst. Yeah, like we deal with so many clients where they've got that difficult employee who's just wearing everyone down and the, it's so tempting to just say, look, let's just whack everything together. We've been let's nail festering. Let's, nail let's just get any – it just ruins it. you just got to draw a line in the sand, restart, and then you can get them out cleanly. Okay, let's go to our big topic today because it is, I think, 
the most emergent and serious issue, which is untested in our environment, which is psychological safety. We've heard, we've read lots of rubbish about it. So what today we thought we'd do is strip that away and we just tell you the truth. And what we're dealing with is director liability. So the first part is what, yeah, what is an officer really? An officer is a person who has a substantial control or financial management position within an organisation. Yep. So it's not somebody who looks after one site. If there's 10 sites, yeah. it's the person. It's not safety managers, not yeah. HR managers. Yeah. Yeah. It's really quite different. There's an argument under industrial manslaughter that that could be a different type of officer, particularly in Queensland and Victoria. I think that's unlikely, by the way. I'm just putting it out there. There is some argument about that. So the next question really is then what are psychological hazards? And they fall into two categories, which are serious wrongs. Yes, yeah, harassment, harassment. Harassment or sexual violence. Bullying. Yep. So those categories, when you look at them in Victoria, are notifiable events. When you look at them in ACT, sexual harassment will be a notifiable, yep. actually notifiable on the day it happens event. Yep. So we're seeing changes around that and the Victorian legislation is still dragging its heels, not yeah. yet, but soon to come. But overwhelmingly, the nature of serious injuries that are suffered in psychological injuries, over 90% of the ones that cause people to leave work are about work design. Yeah. So they're things about the demands of a job, they're about lack of support, skills, lack of skills, underutilisation of skills, lack of recognition, all the small things. Remote working, and remote working I think, is one of the yeah. ones they talk about. Yeah. The other thing is poor physical environment and how often did we deal during COVID where people failed to do physical risk assessments of people working from home yeah. and are still doing it and yeah. not providing the right structures for people to work at home because they go, it's at home. For those people, by the way, Goodbye and off to jail. And uh, change management, yeah. Andrew. That's a big one. And conflict. That people just forget about. Yeah, and conflict and the way people behave <laughs> towards each other. Yeah. So where we want to spend a bit of our time is to say work design is everything, and that's a leadership issue. Yeah. So what happens when you do that? You go, okay, when is an officer, and particularly a director, liable? So in Victoria, it's really important to understand each WHS and OHSX have what's called an attribution element, which means the action of any individual in the business is the action of the business, yep. okay, unless you can show that you have a system in place that that person was acting outside of it, and that has to be a system that has real integrity. So when you do that's 143 in Victoria and similar provisions in others. Once you come to 144, which is director's liability for primary duty breach in Victoria, you've got to show that they have a knowledge of the hazard. Now, when it comes to psychological hazards, they do because they've been published all around Australia. So at that stage, it's not that they have a knowledge of it happening right in there. They're aware this is a hazard and they're triggered. Uh, so you're saying it has to be a knowledge of the risk, how high the risk is, as opposed to that an employee has that specific No, that's hazard. right. No, the, the knowledge yeah. is that there is a hazard yeah. and that needs to be managed because nobody can say there isn't a psychological hazard in a workplace. Because yeah. there is. So the answer is that puts them on the notice of inquiry and then they go to what the WHS says, and I'll come down to the second, yeah. is what is the objective for obligations that come around it? The next question is what is their capacity to influence and the role they have as an officer? A bit different because under WHS all officers must have a working knowledge of the whole business, whereas in Victoria it's slightly different if they don't have that influence. So they're a company secretary. The company secretary could say, well, look, I run the legal part of it, but I actually don't have a knowledge of the allocation of resources except for liquidity issues, okay? And the last part is how attributable is the fault from the person who did the wrong? 
So if it's something chaotically dangerous done by a foreman, which they wouldn't have known about, Victoria provides get out of jail. Yeah. But when we go to WHS, it's very clear that there is the due diligence obligation is an objective one. You must know about the business and the major hazards in the business. You must keep up to date with the relevant and law. put enough steps to that yeah, you have to that have, the company's complying. Yeah, you've got to have a system that you know has integrity. And most importantly, which is the same as reasonable practicability, you must allocate and be satisfied there are the resources for the organisation to be safe. So in Victoria, when you're on knowledge, all those obligations kick in. So in psychological hazards, Victoria is actually no different to anywhere yeah, else. Same. And the issue for you is this. How do, what is the evidence that I have that tells me internally what are those hazards and risks? And secondly, what are the controls I put in place and what resources do I allocate? And each officer must identify that control and that allocation of resource. And if they don't, they're liable under 144. But, of course, they're much worse than that because reckless endangerment comes yeah. into play, which says, now, you have knowledge of a risk of injury. They can't say they don't with psychological hazards, okay, because they do know that. If they don't make these inquiries yeah. and they don't fully act upon it, then they're indifferent, then they're indifferent which yeah. is recklessness, and therefore they can go to jail. So can you see now very quickly, it's actually harder in some ways to prove a primary duty than a serious breach. Yeah. And then you get to industrial manslaughter where you say, look, is there a duty? So the duty, the initial duty is let's have a look. There are two major duties. One is to employees that yeah. exist and common law, okay, and there is another duty to other people. That's the Section 25 duty. So has there been a breach of those duties? Yes. Now, is the breach so wanting in the standard of care? Now, the standard of care applied is the reasonable behaviour of the board taking into consideration its knowledge and its role. So we go back to WHS, what should it do? Yeah. Okay. Do you see how bad this is going and how quickly it's going bad? It just so, escalates. Yeah. <laughs> so once someone knows, let's start again, we're probably breaching because we don't know. Matt, 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 Matt. <laughs> the alarm bells are going off. We do nothing about it. <laughs> someone dies. You're off to jail for 25 years. I just want to show you that it's actually easy to prove the more serious offence of industrial manslaughter and reckless endangerment because the state of knowledge now in Australia is everyone does know there are psychological hazards and it's what the regulator will do. Yeah, I think what employers need to understand is they if the focus is no longer on the fact that, look, something has occurred they chrome back through to see, you know, where there signs that they were suffering from psychological hazards. It's just assumed that you should have known. Yeah, and because Cosa, it's so high risk. Yeah, and Cosgrove, which is the recent case that exactly, we talked about, exactly in the High Court. Yeah, it makes less well, the Victorian Supreme Court, but oh, yeah, but yeah. it comes from it, comes yeah. from the, it does come from the High Court decision. Sorry, yeah. basically says when you know of an inherently dangerous risk. So this is when officers are actually on notice. Yep. that there is a very risky thing. And this in Cosgrove was a woman who was working in the Cranial Inquiry Coroner's Court and yeah. saw terrible photos. Yeah. And yeah. So they knew that was inherently dangerous and they did nothing to put a control in place. Or did not enough, like there were barely yeah. any controls. Now, she showed no signs. What the court says, you don't have to wait for someone to be wounded to know yeah. that they're at risk. That's a common law issue, but in safety law, that's where we are. So the last part, and I'll just do this very quickly because we're running out of time. If we could have the next slide up. This is the intervention, okay? The intervention is really very straightforward, which is 
you must have a plan that's based on evidence. You must build an evidential process of how you execute that plan. You must have competency-based training. The supervisors must know what the plan is, be satisfied everyone's competent who's working there. The employees need to be trained too. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And then, well, that's right, the supervisor must be satisfied. They are yeah. trained and competent in what they're doing. There must be a method of monitoring to see that yep. it's working and there must be a scaled-up reporting system through the hierarchy so everybody can see that it is working. So just very quickly, that's how it works. That is the governance structure that you need. And keep reviewing as necessary yeah, as well. It's not it, just tick and flick. But it, it is evidence, and so you've got to keep coming back to yep. where the evidence is. And the only way to create that evidence and enrich the evidence is to have relationships and good leadership. Yeah, it all comes down to that. Because if the people aren't telling you what's going on, you're failing in your duties anyway. That's exactly right. Okay, so we're bringing up our case study today. COVID had been a difficult time for Century Super, a private super and wealth fund. It employed 350 people and during the acute stages of the epidemic had to rapidly transition to work from home. The return to back to the office had been anything but smooth sailing. Many who had worked from home had settled into a different lifestyle, sometimes assuming greater care or parental roles which worked well for them and their family. Sometimes their partners also put pressure upon them to stay working from home for good or bad reasons as it worked for their family. Yvonne was a technical advisor at Century Super, she received a regular assortment of client queries around their bespoke accounts and had to answer those concerns and log them within the day receipt. It was a critical job focusing on wealth accumulating clients, <laughs> a unique digital offering that was online rather than using face-to-face -face financial planners. Century Super was a startup business seven years ago. The brainchild of banker, Cindy Morrison, it went live six years ago and was underwritten initially by Cindy and the bank she used to work at. Yvonne was one of the first employees and worked directly with Cindy. She moved from the bank with Cindy and had worked next to Cindy in the bank on underwriting financial products that Cindy designed. Yvonne was a detail-oriented person, highly structured in the way she undertook her work, but inflexible on technical data and authorizations. Cindy loved having her on board because if it would pass Yvonne, it would pass the regulator. But she was not easy to work with. Others found her drive for detail frustrating and endless. She was Cindy's security blanket. For others, she was an interminable maze of questions and blocks for getting the job done. During COVID, Yvonne asked Cindy if she could drop down from the underwriting to client technical support. She explained besides working directly for Cindy, which she loved, it was a thankless task. She explained the level of frustration for her as the new business had lots of salespeople developing products but careless as to the risk, detail and systems. It was a nightmare to manage and they treated her badly for getting the information structure and financial integrity documentation required to go live and win regulatory approval. She explained her husband had been retrenched as GM of operations from phone company, well, creative, Andrew, and he was depressed, drinking a bit much and very hard at work. That was me, depressed. <laughs> and COVID made it worse. She needed to support him. Yvonne worked from home all of 2021, returning to two days a week in the office from July 2022. In truth, her personal leave reduced that to one day a week. The team leader struggled with Yvonne's low output and constant requisitions for further client information, clarification and fund data to properly respond to client questions. As a result, the stream of work she was sent was increasingly low-level requests well beneath her skills, high volume and her concerns about the work. Delegation and process were met with curt, resentful emails and team's messages by her team leader.
Other client technical support officers would use Yvonne to answer difficult questions but found her detail-orientated technical eye frustrating and she was known as hard work, despite being relied on unofficially. Gradually, Yvonne's team leader, Gorgon, <laughs> allocated these concerns and his executive manager spoke to Sydney. Sydney explained Yvonne's difficult home life, her unique skills but mindset and that she had come with Sydney on the ride and they needed to get on with her. Exactly. Points to a personal leave, difficult relationships, and low work output. But Sydney said just step back from her. Over the next few weeks, Gorgon did just that. Less calls, workflow dropped off. The idea was to reduce the conflict and pressure on Yvonne. Nobody told Yvonne the change or why. Although no risk assessment had been undertaken, Century Super knew through Cindy and her work colleagues that Yvonne's husband was a violent drunk and very controlling. Yvonne's mental health and fractiousness increased from the moment she worked at home with her husband and she craved certainty and clarity in everything she did. When Gorgon took over as team leader, he drove KPIs but was not a listener. And other than publicly measuring, expecting KPIs, delivery, he was vague. Sydney received a late night text message on Monday from Yvonne's husband accusing her of killing Yvonne. He said he was at Epworth emergency. Yvonne was unconscious from ingesting a large number of tablets. The doctors had given him dire warnings. He said the ambulance had collected her at 3pm. Why does it get more and more morbid with you? I don't know. It just does, doesn't it? Gosh, all right. Okay, what should have Century Soup undertaken as part of the work from home during COVID and again at the return to the workplace? The uh, answer is... Risk assessment. Yeah. This is normal hill insurer. Yeah, this is normal hill insurer, which is where a woman actually died as a result of her husband killing her at home. Yeah. But it's more than that. And I guess the risk assessment here, this is a person of a particular style and structure and the way she behaves. And psychological hazards is not about one rule for all. Yeah. Okay. It is actually looking at the personalities, skills and capabilities of someone and then looking at their workplace design. Yeah. Which is not just what their environment is at home, but also how everyone is communicating and giving her instructions while she's working from home. And that's why this is such a leadership issue, I guess, and why I've written such a lengthy problem, because if (laughs) you go through what are the problems here, there is working from home, no assessment of physical environment and the environment of the people who work in the same place. Lack of clarity, lack Lack of instruction. No change management, like they didn't explain to her what they were doing at all, just cut her out. That's just crazy. Now, do you see all of those things happen from time to time, one or two of them? But what I'm trying to say is one or two of them is a psychological hazard. And that's enough. And it's enough. Here, a combination of three or four of them, and that's back when she was just working during COVID, are enough to actually crystallise a workers' compensation claim, to crystallise a safety claim, to crystallise all sorts of types of claims that exist. And the issue here is forgetting that psychological hazard is about an individual assessment, not a global assessment. So, yes, you've got to have a global assessment as a director, but you've also got to drill down as to what are the risk factors that impinge on a particular person's lifestyle and the risk assessment must have sufficient penetration to a person's life to actually capture that information. And that's why you can't apply blanket controls. It has to be tailored to the specific risk of that individual. And it means that when you get this, it's very clear what you have to do is actually spend time with this person, be yeah. clear with them what they're doing. You have to make sure that their skills that, that they are executing are the ones they should be executing. Yeah. Let's have a look at the second question. Well, there's a few more. <laughs> Workplace incident. Absolutely. Yeah. It happened at 3 o'clock during normal work hours. Okay. At a place of work, which is her working from home. So that's it. Could Cindy be liable under her due diligence obligation? Yeah, she didn't do enough. Well, let's start in Victoria, most definitely, because she had had knowledge. She had knowledge. Okay. Even if she didn't have specific knowledge, she had generic knowledge. But 
But this time she is definitely liable under and would be prosecuted. Could Cindy be liable under reckless endangerment in that she knew of a risk of injury? Well, the injury could have been a physical abuse from the husband because she knew it, but it's certainly a psychological risk. Yeah, because if if one was like raised with her that she was suffering and wanted to change roles, so that she's definitely put on notice of it. And all Cindy did was say, just don't hurt her. Yeah. But actually, was that a control? Was that a control? Okay. And the last part is, if she died, could there be an industrial manslaughter? And the answer is, it's very close. I don't think Cindy would be prosecuted. I think she should be prosecuted. But she could well be prosecuted because her reasonable care, that is, doing the things she needed to do, was so wanting because she knew this woman was at such risk. She dropped down from a very senior job to a very low job. Everyone was having trouble with her. She was having trouble. She was saying it was hurting her, yeah. and she knew the, the inherent risks that were at home. But she didn't do anything to step in to protect her at all. So there okay. you go. That's why we wanted to spend time on directors particularly, but on officers' liability and psychological so how hazards. how easy it is. Yeah, I had to draw yeah. a long story to do it out. But the point is you can see now sequentially where that liability arises, but you can also see how easy it is to intervene and protect yeah, which is why we're seeing more and more office charges being laid yeah. every day, really. All right, well, thank you very much. Great to catch up, Nina. Nina's thank been you. crooked. It's lovely to see you getting well. Yeah, so see you later. Bye. Thumbs up. Give Don't forget. Thumbs up. Yeah.